So capitalism, a ghost story, is, is, is about the ways in which capitalism works in, in the modern day, which isn't always what we think. You know, it's not just about corporations and privatization and how, how does it colonize our imagination? How does it tame us? How does it um, make us into people we don't even know that we are? listening to On Resistance. This is X. I will be loosely facilitating the conversation today. Um, the topic that we chose is anti-capitalism. We're kind of back from our break. There was a fun drive and we're still here recording for you. If you want to catch some of our past shows from the five-week series, you can listen to our SoundCloud, it's soundcloud.com slash on-resistance, and you can link up to us on our Tumblr, onresistanceradio.tumblr.com. Do we want to get into it? I'm Anton. Hello, I'm Bobby. Hey, it's Jay Ray. Okay, so we chose the topic of anti-capitalism, and upon choosing our topic, we haven't had an interesting discussion that we often at times want to record the discussions when choosing certain topics. But I guess to get around to furthering this dialogue, what are some of the reasons we want to kind of, we chose anti-capitalism or um, why you might be an anti-capitalist? This is Anton. It's important to just acknowledge that there even is a resistance towards capitalism and that there are people struggling against it. Why do we talk about it? It's a form of resistance. Yeah, I guess capitalism is always kind of at the root of our systemic analysis. I feel like this country is not old enough, actually. This country is really new and um, politically new as well. And like people have just kind of recently in this country have been liberated themselves from chattel slavery and were given kind of like other means of education. And so other countries have kind of like a up and up and talking politically when it, when it comes to um, politics and being aware and having a, a broader understanding of like 
the economic systems that they're living in, where I feel a lot of people have a limited understanding. And it's this country is made that way. People are indoctrinated to believe that you have once you are born, you have to work and just opt into it without thinking critically about it. Bobby? It's important to talk about capitalism as a crisis because so much of what capitalism causes puts blame on the individual. And so we're a failure for not succeeding in this capitalist system. We have all these quote unquote disease that are self-inflicted, but really all of this is goes back to capitalism. You know, the reason why people are unhappy, the reason why people are depressed, the reason why people are homeless, the reason why people are sick or unhealthy, it all goes back to capitalism. The reason why this planet is dying is because of capitalism. Of course, there's other things like white supremacy and like other hierarchies, but capitalism in regards to economic in America here is is related to a lot of our oppression. So if we're going to talk about oppression and we're going to talk about resistance, then it's important to break down capitalism and then also break down anti-capitalism and what that means and the resistance that is already existing against it. Jerry? We live in a system of hierarchy and there are lots of intersecting hierarchies that affect people socially and interpersonally and that all makes it more difficult to acknowledge the economic frameworks that have been built to support white supremacy. So a lot of people think that Europeans were under monarchies, that it was progress to move towards a more individualist capitalist state where people had merit or have upward mobility. But capitalism hasn't been that beacon of progress for people because it actually plays upon various intersecting hierarchies of oppression to keep people divided. You can recognize capitalism as problematic, but what does that mean practically for how we interact with each other as people who are opposed to capitalism? And like, how do we just name it regularly and empower each other to name it regularly? Because some strategies are to not talk about anti-capitalism openly because that alienates people, and instead to bring and recruit and increase membership and then slowly politicize people <laughs> on your own terms. Versus being open and authentic about capitalism is the crisis. We can't mm. disassociate that. Yeah, there's a lot of like meet people where they're at kind of rhetoric. How do y'all feel about that? Because I feel like meeting people where they're at, like, you know, I was, I was like, I didn't know about capitalism at one point in my life. And once I started becoming knowledgeable about it and the kind of urgency of like it needing it necessary to be kind of dismantled, there came, yeah. Along with that urgency came, like, this kind of, like, frustration that, you know, people weren't where I was at in terms of politically. So, yeah, it takes a certain amount of patience when engaging with our communities that we exist in. And it's hard just when it comes to other kind of oppressions that you face. It's it's hard to, like, go out, talk to people one-on-one and, like, be like, hey, have you heard about capitalism? I can't go door-to-door and talk about heteropatriarchy without possibly getting ridiculed for being a queer or gender- presenting gender nonconforming person. Anton and then Bobby. The meeting people where they at rhetoric is good. I just want to bring up as an example, like, the past shows, they all kind of have this second topic within them that is anti-capitalist. Meeting people where they at in terms of meeting someone who is very interested in you know, education or something like that. Mm. And you can talk to them and you can openly say the reason why our education system is really messed up is that capitalist interests are sort of taking over politics in Washington and budgeting. Every branch of politics in America especially has that link that you can take it like a string and tie it back to like a corporation that has way too much money. Bobby? 
in regards to, like meeting people where they're at. I feel like a lot of people are anti-capitalist and they just don't realize they're anti-capitalist or maybe they don't like use that uh, sort of like label. But through the everyday struggle, America, because we're taught at such a young age that like capitalism and democracy go hand in hand, you know, we're not even taught about any other sort of forms of like economic systems. If you take economics, it's not like you learn, you know, that there's any other options other than capitalism. Mm. So we are indoctrinated and brainwashed into the system. And so through growing up and kind of just realizing that this is a strong form of oppression, knowing that it's a difficulty to even be able to survive in this capitalist system, and then learning that there's alternatives or even creating alternatives while trying to resist against it, I think makes people anti-capitalist. And so when I hear meeting people where they're at, I feel kind of talking to people, hey, you know, you're growing your own food, that's anti-capitalist. It's just kind of like doing that in a way. I agree. A lot of people have anti-capitalist sentiment in that they're frustrated. You can always feel the tension with your boss. And what people call getting money out of politics is really just capitalism and government being viewed as one and the same. I think that what's important about meeting people where they're at is not always trying to guess exactly where they're at and like put them in a place and just speaking honestly about making anti-capitalism accessible talking about the factors of people's lives and also how you relate to and how you are coerced to work because I think the largest problem is that people it's not that people don't know that commodifying all of our resources and land and people people realize that they need to eat and they understand that the fact they have to get money to eat is ridiculous but because the imagination has been so limited by capitalism this is the struggle that we all have to feed ourselves and really the struggle is like working with the land you know Mm -hmm. in a cooperative way but that struggle has been taken and used by capitalism to control like large amounts of, of people like all people pretty much and it's been globalized and turned into conquest. Direct response, Bobby. And just realizing, too, that they purposely have demonized, like, anti-capitalists. There has been, like, a long time of just being taught that if you're anti-capitalist, you should be quiet about it. You should not be talking about being anti-capitalist on the air. Being anti-capitalist, anarchists are, like, those two bad A words. We've been talking a lot about what is thrown into our faces in terms of capitalists trying to find ways to prolong their their power so that we can work within the framework of the solutions that they're doled out to us. We haven't really talked a lot about liberalism and how liberalism is one of those things that is created to live comfortably within capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's something that, and then you have neoliberalism, which is basically a complete religion based around money and how so many solutions that are brought, the solutions are more garnered towards funding or, yeah, prolonging corporate power. So, yeah, I mean, liberalism, that's like a whole... (laughs) show (laughs) (laughs) i always feel like that we've had a show on oh decolonizing we've talked about liberalism definitely we haven't like talked straight about liberalism we just always incorporate an anti-liberal critique yeah like i feel like that's my perception of it it kind of just thinks to like the i know we talked about it before but like the plastic bag ban you know it's like oh okay we're gonna ban plastic bags no you're not (laughs) you're just gonna charge 10 cents for them (laughs) we're still gonna have plastic bags that's liberalism yeah, right. <laughs> That's great. Uh, a lot of people want to look at the right wing and the capitalists as the big bad wolf. I was going to say guys, <laughs> but I don't want to gender yeah. it, you know? A lot of liberals don't realize that by endorsing government that they participate in the regime of oppression and that repression isn't just brought by the state. 
you have the capability of enforcing the repression of the state on people and criminalizing. I just want to bring up to presidents. Democrat presidents have historically instituted reforms and laws and bills and stuff that have paved the way for a Republican president to then go in and say like, oh, now I'm going to change and fuck up a bunch of shit. And that actually those Republican presidents get blamed more harshly, I guess, in that way. For example, George Bush, and while I feel like George Bush should be critiqued very harshly in, in, in his own sort of way, like I, th I think that there's like a lot, to, a, lo a lot that you can say that is exactly the same that you're saying about George Bush, about Bill Clinton, or about Barack Obama. And liberals always try to play, you need a Democratic president in the White House in order to survive. Because if there's a Republican president in the White House, you won't survive. And that's like, that's totally, that's totally ridiculous. Oh, I'm sorry, more deportations under Obama than any other president. Where? I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I think it's interesting too, though, because it's also just the presidency. It's just, it's the state. And it's whoever is in office is going to do the same thing that the capitalists want to happen. Whether or not it's a Democrat, Republican, or independent, they're all going to do the same thing because representative government doesn't work. Capitalism wants to keep everything individualized so that we can be so focused on our own struggle, be so focused on just trying to survive, that we're not able to communicate and talk together and sort of abolish it because we want to abolish capitalism, right? Um, Jerry? The focus is so much on individual representation and liberalism is very much pro-capitalist, pro-electioneering as a business. So we're not really given any viable alternatives. And so I don't think party politics, partisan-based representative government is a good alternative, even if it is anti-capitalist, um, because I do think that the structure itself is built on a capitalist exchange culture. Like all the people that are state employees, all the pigs, all the police, they get paid salary and pensions. Um, so, you know, the capitalist system, what we have right now is a capitalist system with pro-capitalist candidates. And so even if we had anti-capitalist candidates in a capitalist system, I think it does more to to misdirect energy away from autonomous communities and direct action. Us building alternative power for ourselves on the streets, direct point of action instead of banking on trying to get the right amount of power, right amount of people in office, that's their paradigm. That's their political system they set up to maintain power for themselves. Like we can't do that. In fact, everything we do gets co-opted into that. So we need to like fight co-optation. And I think the left has a really big problem with mm. being anti-capitalist, but never challenging liberalism. Like there's this idea of mutual respect with liberals and mutual respect mm -hmm. with liberal actions. And I think that that is one of the biggest downfalls of the quote unquote revolutionary left, which I think that's why autonomy is so important, because autonomy has the capability of being revolutionary and breaking from the left's like enabling of liberalism and breaking from liberalism and capitalism. Word. And we can say FTP. Why do we say FTP? Because the police <laughs> protect capitalism, property. essentially, and property. They're here for social control. They're here to enforce, militantly enforce these value systems that capitalism plays on everything. Also, liberalism is about avoiding conflict. And so a lot of liberals, they can talk about poverty in police, but if you're not visibly critiquing or outwardly expressing how problematic the police and poverty is, people support legislative solutions because it's less conflict. Like It's actually more about negotiating and compromising with the establishment. So you think that a law is going to change something, but laws just give more power to the police. So you're actually removing that responsibility from yourself and taking that power away from communities from being able to deal with it themselves, trusting some far-removed manager with absolute brutal force like the police to do the bidding for you. So liberals tend to support the police. And keep your privileges while you have it. 
Yeah, I was gonna say that when you're living when you're living under certain frameworks that you are socialized under and to believe and to have to work in, it's hard to get out of that framework of thinking. Like people were saying that when it comes to liberalism, when it comes to electing the right leader to lead us, the right the right politician to enforce the right policies to reform our government and to reform our the status quo. I feel like that's political laziness. I feel the same way about, you know, organized religion in terms of leaving it up to another, uh, some sort of outside source in order to complete you or in order to help, you know, facilitate some sort of wholeness. I think that's spiritual laziness. I think that you should find within yourself ways in which you can... But this is just, you know, my understandings of, like, you know, re-indigenizing and, like, spirituality and everything. I do think that when it comes to right-left politics, it's often, yeah, like Jaira was saying, the right is very much the determining factor of what the problem is, especially when it comes to the left or the radical left, when in actuality there's more of these subtle forms of things that are repressing our actions and our ideas that are coming from these systems of oppression. Next on stack, we had Anton. The leaders of the conservative party, for example, in America, I, for me, I imagine white supremacist men. And when I think about liberal parties, you know, on the other side, the leaders are also, you know, white supremacist <laughs> white men. You can't really find representation in either. There's no real, like, guarantee that by putting your agency into a political party that you're going to get anything, you know. One thing that I think is really interesting, how much actual damage the money is doing to our planet. When you think about, like, all the money that went into the last political campaign, no one else can really compete. No one else can really be there in that position with all that money. Only the elite of the American people can really be in that position to be running for president. And I think that really speaks to, like, a lot of the people that are in office right now. You know, a lot of the people that are in office right now are probably you know, very similar. It just plays this image of what success is in America and, and it's who really wants to be in that situation. I saw an ad or a commercial thing for the socialist state of the union. What purpose do like the socialists really have to be <laughs> after this string of people who consider themselves capitalists in this capitalist republic and then they're, they're giving time for these socialists. What world are the socialists living in that they're making time? For? It's just so trippy and, and it's dystopic. That's what it really is for me. It's, it's a vision of the dystopia that we live in. Next on stack is Bobby. It makes me think of how right now in California, our water supply is gone. <laughs> you know, we're in a drought and we have Nestle controls 70% of the world's water supply. And the CEO said that water is not a human right. We don't own our water, and somehow someone else owns water. And so when I think about what is going to, in my idea, what's going to start to happen, and with the increase of hot weather, and with the number of police and militarization, with capitalism comes fascism. And so they're going to use the fact that the capitalists own the resources and that they know people need resources as a way to criminalize and punish and to breed so then they can further put us in prisons. Therefore, they can also further profit. And they profit from our suffering. And we have to combat it. And we have to combat it more than just living in alternatives. We have to combat it more than just resisting and more than just being reactionary. And I can understand us being reactionary because... We want to react to these things. But I feel that the capitalists are prepared 
<laughs> and way more than we are. And I don't know what it looks like, but I just hope people start talking to each other and we start having assemblies and do something because mm-hmm. they've got the water. We like, how, you, gotta, <laughs> you know, you have to fight back at least to drink water just Word. to live yeah. on that basic level. J-Ray. I want to respond to that, but I also wanted to respond to the green socialist. <laughs> you know, like, we're living in very authoritarian times, and I understand why people are trying to get a piece of the pie because they think this is literally the invested political system that we've taught. So I don't support voting electoralism in general. I don't think that there's... It makes sense under the capitalist value system why you would value candidates. Elevating particular candidates, because I think it just suspends autonomous community organizing and it lines people up and recruits people to support a cult of personality, um, which just, like, depresses people's, like, value and belief that they, too, can be anything and, like, take on any role for the revolution and they don't have to be, like, canvassers for someone else, you know, like... and. Um, but the one thing I do think is interesting is that I do think that alternative party systems, what they do serve a function as is by showing how much absolute power the two-party capitalist systems have. <laughs> because, like, they're not a, I don't think they're a viable alternative to take over power in the government. It ends up trying to put people on a strategy of we just have to get enough people elected, which means that a lot of energy is going to now be misused towards trying to find candidates to get that right amount of candidates. It is interesting because of how excluded the Green Party candidates and the Socialist candidates were and how Jill Stein got arrested. And I thought that was interesting because it showed that the two-party system really has a huge factional hold on the U.S. government, and it is a bipartisan dictatorship. And the idea that you can compete in the free market to have a new party is not true. That's what we found out. It's not true. And so I don't think that it's a viable alternative. I think it misuses a lot of community energy. And most candidates, unfortunately, once you're involved in the political process, you can't actually support on the ground uprisings and insurrections and stuff that occurs naturally against police aggression because you're worried about your status and you're worried about the media within the regime. So I don't see the value in supporting these type of candidates because I think it ends up falling to liberalism and the insurrection and revolt gets criminalized also by leftists because they want their status within Mm -hmm. the system. They started fracking, and then the next day there was, you know, earthquake, oil spill, mm. fires. <laughs> Straight up, as soon as they started fracking in Inglewood, of all places to frack in L.A., start fracking in Inglewood, and then the next day there's earthquakes and stuff like that. You know, and then how much money was spent on, like, the presidential election. I don't know. It's really crazy how L.A. is a desert, you know, and now we kind of have this tropical weather and... There's been no acknowledgement of chemtrails existence in any way or, you know, what it could be. It's just, it's an interesting time just to live, I guess, right now. Like, interesting is a word for it. And I guess that goes back to our first question of why we've been talking about anti-capitalism on the radio. And I think it's because we have such a need to like, identify the problems of what's going on. For us, it's so clear capitalism is the crisis. Someone bought the future of water for however long, you know, and Nestle. Nestle. Nestle Chocolate Milk Company is <laughs> saying that water is not a human right. Yeah. So, That's- I mean... This is the world that we live in, you know? And and it's the world we live in, and this is the problem, and we're consistently told every day that it's not the problem. It's not the problem. And so that's that's the problem, is that, like... That causes alienation and gaslighting. They're gaslighting us. Gaslighting. All right, let's go. (laughs) So it's going to be hot, three-digit weather this summer. People are going to get angsty. There's just so many barriers (laughs) to overcome. It's like you have... And barricades. Yeah. Well... (laughs) You you have, like, the barrier of having to, like, interpret the surroundings, you know, or people to believe in these interpretations. But then also it's not just enough to merely interpret, you know, your surroundings. You have to actually... Con- transgress con- Yeah, transgress or destroy, you know, certain... <laughs> 
certain institutions that are oppressing you. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Intersectionally, yeah, I want to agree with everything everyone is saying and um, that also, you know, queer trans people of color are definitely isolated and alienated and under capitalism. And usually when I hear meeting people where they're at, it's usually from cis straight males who have the ability to go out and do the like door to door kind of organizing that it takes to meet people where they're at because they're able to see past the go through the race, class, gender kind of like lines. And so just be, I don't know, patient with that, with people who aren't. And I want to talk about the alienation that you get from that is very much internalized the hundreds of years of capitalism capitalism within this country is roughly 500 years old it's as about as old as the time the colonizers came and colonized this land and it's and i don't want to over intellectualize you know the the idea of how to dismantle our own internalized oppression, but I think that it is something that needs to be deconstructed and unlearned within us, but also combated in an external kind of way. How are you all trying to combat your internalized capitalist tendencies that have been, you've been socialized along with? Choosing to live your life not according to that standard of upward mobility that is so necessary for people to understand your lives. I mean, even when from an intersectional standpoint, the idea of getting together with someone, becoming boyfriend or girlfriend, getting married, you know, all that stuff is already set in stone for you. So it's so hard for people to wrap their heads around your relationships if you don't follow those same standards. I feel like it is a struggle because you exist in the system and you have bills to pay and you have rent to pay and parents are aging to worry about and so you don't want to always struggle. I don't want to romanticize it. But at the same time, I'm not trying to be a millionaire. I just want to be able to have a place to sleep and food to eat and know that my parents are going to be able to not have to work till they die. Through that, I don't know, I'm torn. But in ways that I can try to be anti-capitalist and resist, I do. I feel like having empathy for people is something that's anti-capitalist and choosing not to compete because in the workplace, they want you to compete with each other. And if instead you empathize that you guys are both here doing this BS job because you have to and I'm not going to try to throw you under the bus and you don't do that to me. It's cool. I feel like just doing that kind of disrupts it. J-Ray? Even if you become hypercritical of how capital and money is used, basically built off of abusive relationships with workers to influence your entire world, your entire structure of living through control mechanisms, the government, that isn't enough. You have to kind of take that understanding home with what our social relationships are, how we have learned competition as a survival tactic under capitalism, and how we do project that pressure onto each other sometimes. And so we've been kind of told that success under capitalism is hyper-individualized, competitive. When we hang out, we go and we spend money, we go and we buy food. And to a large extent, we can't really escape that we're always making exchanges. Our life is a series of exchanges. But when we do create oppositional spaces in public, how is the public space used? It's no longer used anymore. 
except for capitalism. There's hardly any public space that is anti-capitalist, that is like not built on the exchange of money. And so when we do try to create those alternative spaces, trying to check that individualized, competitive nature that does carry through into our organizing circles, if we're not being openly anti-capitalist, and talking about how capitalism is an economy of non-voluntary exchanges and how that exchange doesn't always have money and does relate to social capital and how we treat each other. Mm. Social capital, <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> concept that we um, definitely brought up before in terms of garnering reputation for the self or using experience to have access to certain certain circles or certain resources, for example, I think definitely social capital is one of those things that pe- people have used for, like Jayway was saying, these ex- social exchanges that often aren't really considered. When organizing with other anti-capitalists, I don't always see that kind of analysis that is played out within their daily routine. Within There's a lot of garnering. And like I, I, I feel like, you know, it's because... Within capitalism, it socializes people under rugged individualism. I feel like it's it's something that can be combated if we're really starting to think critically. But yeah, I like, just like on the topic of what you were talking about, Bobby, like um, what you were talking about having to survive within capitalism. I don't know if, I feel like our comforts have really gotten the way of, of actually wanting to be uncomfortable and like, you know, actually fight. these systems of oppression like capitalism because people are just they wanting to be affluent or they're wanting to be white or they're wanting to be men when there's like a when there's like kind of there's definitely exploitation behind like becoming a millionaire these people are millionaires because what they've gained socially and materially is off of the backs of millions of other people yeah i was just gonna say that Unfortunately, when it comes to these terms like stability or standard of living, the ideas of what that looks like have been shaped by capitalism. So I'd also want to support my family like being safe, but I can't necessarily support them being successful because I don't know what that means and I've lost all identifiers of what that means because mm-hmm. I know that the standard of living has been shaped by capitalism. So if acquiring more material goods means that you're more successful, I can't help that. People who are really invested in this system and have already gotten material gains, I don't expect them to just quit their job or to completely transform the idea of what their comforts, what, what they need versus what the comforts are. Um, Bobby? It's interesting because I feel like with capitalism, it was said before, it decides what the standard of living is, and and as time has gone, it's decreased it. And speaking on human beings, there's this basic needs that we as humans have. We have a need for safety, we have a need for food and health and all those sort of things. So us having that is not really comfort, it's just us having our basic needs. And capitalism has made it so that you need capital to be able to have housing, you need capital to be able to have food. And we also have to look at capitalism and its effect on the planet and other species. And, you know, other species also have rights to exist. And they do not consent or participate in this capitalist system, but they are taken and exploited also. Um, direct response first from J. Ray and then Anton. I think capitalism does a good job of making people feel guilty for having having any basic needs at all. And if you are labeled a criminal and that crime, according to the state and capital, is theft... 
you're stealing that's a crime against capitalism you know that's a crime that is named that to get resources and who really is the thief the thief with institutional power is the capitalist that steals the resources and holds the resources ransom Mm -hmm. for money what is a grocery store it's food (laughs) being held ransom that was stolen from the workers exchange of whatever from the land from the stolen from the land held ransom and then you have to buy it back from the capitalists. They don't feel guilty about that. Like, we need a dominant cultural shift because why are people being made to feel guilty for stealing food? Why is there a stigma on that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to say that the idea of value in the first place is also a capitalist, like, sensibility. So one of the arguments that people often use against anti-capitalism, to me personally, is, well, they point to my computer, right? Look at that computer. How much was that computer? Are you going to give that up? Or are you just going to give that up, you know? <laughs> well, this computer is only valuable because we live in a capitalist state that places value more on expensive technology and less on, you know, what, food? How much is an orange compared to a computer versus what does an orange actually provide for your body versus what a computer actually provides for your body. There's no real way that you can gauge value based on the monetary value that capitalism has assigned to each individual thing because there's also no universal sort of assignment of those values. You can't assign value to, you know, the various abstract things that aren't sold. Um, Bobby? And also just regards to, like, the computer, too, because I know when people are like, oh, well, yeah, you know, if it wasn't for capitalism, we wouldn't have computers. We wouldn't have internet. And it's like, oh my goodness. It's like, you know, <laughs> instead, like, we would know how to fix our own computers. We would know how to build our computers. We would make things that are, are less, like, uh, you know, the things aren't so wasteful. Yeah. And all these, we would have skill shares, you know, and we would we'd make things more efficient. Things would probably be more efficient under capitalism, even though efficient is, like, kind of goes into, like, a capitalist language. But, like... Um, Using the capitalist language, like, capitalism is also not efficient, right? Yeah. Because they plan for things to, like, be obsolete within the next year. So, so if you weren't, <laughs> if you didn't live under capitalism, you would actually make less computers because you would make computers that were long-lasting and mm-hmm. wouldn't immediately go obsolete. And you would recycle the materials so yeah. it would have less of an impact on the earth mm-hmm. and it would be more accessible and it wouldn't be this privatized thing that indicates access and status under capitalism versus, like, use value and, like, how it affects your community value, quote unquote. <laughs> capitalists aren't even good capitalists. They're doing exactly what <laughs> capitalism has like assigned, you know, them to do. I like the conversation of value because I feel like I feel like, yeah, we have to eradicate what yeah, capitalism has like assigned value to or capitalist values. But I still find that there are other ideologies that present this I- these ideas of value. And when you talk about, in my limited understanding of like dialectical materialism and everything, like a value is placed on something by way of how much time it takes in order to create the, the commodity. So like you're still commodifying resources for the uh, proliferation of, of human concerns um, when uh, like, that's colonialism still. That's still commodification. You know, I, I think I was in this workshop one time where I posed a question to somebody who was talking about dialectical materialism, and I was just kind of using um, something from uh, Alexander Berkman's book, What is Anarchism? Because they were saying to craft a table, you know, with a with a knife, it, it could take about 20 hours. And so the 20 hours it took to create this table... It is, um, that is how much it is worth. Just, like, straight up. Like, and it was just, like, 
it was like a done deal. There was no questioning, you know, it's worth 20 hours of work. And then I was like, what about, you know, somebody who uses um, that same knife to, like, save somebody's life as a doctor in one hour? And then he was like, well, yeah. Uh, and he was stumped because it's like, you know, you're placing, like, a value on, like, the hours it takes to save somebody's life versus the hours it takes to create a table. So I, I was just interested in, in that uh, that discussion, but um, it didn't really further any longer. Next on stack, J-Ray. So much of our language is capitalist or capitalist influence. Like when I think about how I define my relationships, I'm always like, oh, I really want to invest my emotional mm. headspace in this. And wow, investing is, is capitalist language. And then I'm trying to think of other ways. And mostly everything we have to measure meaning or value is affected by capitalism. Because, I mean, I was born into a capitalist context. In occupied America, that means always trying to have to find or get a place in the hierarchy. Uh, or that's like what I'm told like I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to assimilate get a place in the hierarchy and then I'll be fine or something I'll have enough value I also think a lot of anti-capitalist analysis doesn't take into account that capitalism has affected all of our language and our values because capitalism assigns value based on age and Mm. age is very much used by capitalism to place us through the factory system of life starting with school to college which fabricates a communal experience to then produce people into individualization and and to then compete. By opposing capitalism, that doesn't necessarily mean people are extending their analysis to the values we've adopted under capitalism. And that goes along with morals, too. A lot of the times people are attaching value and morals based on capitalist ideology. It isn't morally wrong for someone to take from an open space or sleep in an open space. That's not morally wrong. But the police get involved and then people are like, well, this property has more value than this person's sleep. And so those are the values of capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. coming to trump the day yet again for oppression. Next one, Zach. Bobby? Thinking about aging and capitalism and how a lot of ageism comes from capitalism because the older we get, the less valued we are. So then it creates this competition amongst ages where older people are feeling to compete with younger people and in the job market of non-existent jobs. You're having people of different ages. Instead of being able to skill share and work together, there's a sort of scene of people who are younger are your competitor. And then that only brings ageism and Yeah, it'd be great if we lived in a society where everyone could do things to the best of their capacity that they can do and contribute to the communities and recognize that we are in an interdependent whole and an interrelated whole that if somebody is sick, understandable, we can still work around that. If somebody is disabled by the society that they're living in, they can, it's a community concern versus an individual concern. When it comes to critiques on these institutions created by capitalism, that capitalism gives access to benefits in terms of opting into institutions of marriage or school or military. I find it interesting that so often, you know, people are attacking the critiques as though society isn't socialized to organize around opting into these institutions. Yes, I have a critique on marriage. Yes, I have a critique on military and everything. You're feeling judged or you're calling, you know, me judgmental for for critiquing that when in actuality. These are institutions that dole out benefits, you having to opt into them, or you having the maybe choice to to opt into them. I'm just coming at it from a, a systemic and analytical lens. Next on stack, J-Ray. 
in terms of value systems of of age when we come together there's a lot of disenfranchised youth who are immediately turned off by the authoritarian nature of the school system, which is why you can see capitalist response by the school-to-prison pipeline. It's definitely a response to check and criminalize youth power because youth, I think, have less to unlearn under the system. As you spend time here, you are coerced to here on this world planet. You are coerced <laughs> to like adopt. You are you are coerced to adopt the values of like the system around you to survive and. Because of that, that's why we need to have open participatory space regardless of age assignment because age assignment does really serve capitalism to define what our value is to the capitalist, how much we can produce, what productivity is. And so a lot of those values get turned on and judged against youth, too. So it works both ways because, oh, well, you're not productive yet. So, like, I need to teach you how to be productive for capitalism. And we carry on the desires of capitalism by putting that pressure onto other people, especially in organizing if you're new if you're young, if you're new, if you haven't been here, if you don't have organizational credibility, that is another way of determining value and people will dismiss your ideas. And one of the phrases I'm gonna say are reinventing the wheel, just dismissive phrases that come up <laughs> to bully and silence youth. I do think that there is a, a process of dismissing people based on age and that is something that we've learned from capitalism and capitalist values. Word, I agree. That's an interesting, um framework to work around considering age. There are so many assumptions that young people have for elder people. There are so many assumptions that elder people have for for younger people. When it comes to capitalism, who has the, the privilege in terms of that power play? Since we live in patriarchy, old white men kind of controlling um, the narrative of what how changes are made, I think that the power is belonging to them and how they shape material reality for us. And there are just so many assumptions. And then when it comes to race and gender, there's so many people that might assume because of racialized differences that you might be younger than you are. We know we get it a lot from white people because for some reason, white people tend to think that I'm much younger than I actually am. And they treat you as such. And that talks a lot about how you should be treating children. You shouldn't be treating children or people who you think are younger with like less respect because of some value that is constructed by capitalism that says that the more prolonged your life is, the less uh, likely you are to have an experience. And that's, you know, measurement of like depth of experiences vary when it comes to intersectional privileges and oppressions. Um, next on stack, we have Progressive Anton. I just want to bring up ageism, too, in terms of the old white man, like you were talking about, having the most innate capitalistic value or whatever in the workplace, right? Because they have, like, another phrase that has been used a lot to alienate youth in organizing is experience, right? They have more experience than you, and that's measured by the amount of days that they have lived on the earth. One thing that I will notice in the workplace is that Black women, the older they get, they get less and less value placed on them. And the elder actually never comes up. Like, I've noticed <laughs> for, like, elder black women is that, like, they just can never say, like, well, I have so much more experience than you, so I should have more value than you. And looking at uh, anti-capitalism intersectionally, we should examine the way women are treated in the workplace and how the, the values dissonance that really goes along with that. For example, women 
in my reality have more of a value than women in the reality that is, right, capitalism. So that values dissonance between us and the state is what causes conflict. Because, yeah, because of, like, patriarchy, because women are treated as sexual objects, like, the older you get, the less you're valued. And then also, like, all these things we were talking about, it's, like, it's the hierarchy, you know, like, it's the hierarchy and all these different systems in which, like, capitalism needs hierarchy. Capitalism needs to put someone on the top and all of us competing to try to get there. But it's a fake competition because the person on the top will always be on the top and you will never get there. So when you have non-whites going into the system and trying to assimilate, a black capitalist, you can try to climb that ladder as high as you want, but you're still black. And so you'll still get pulled over in your bins. You're just driving a bins. And they'll still arrest you. And if you look at the Clippers, and you have these basketball players, and they're making all this money, but they're working for this racist. And the reality is all of the basketball players are working for racists. We're all working for racists and white supremacists. Really, what you see is that they don't even own what they're doing. They're just players. They're mm. just tools. Mm-hmm. J-Ray? There's a lot to be said about worker solidarity, and I think that's what we saw was the players realize that they have the power. Without them, there would be no game. And that was what I thought was beautiful about the entire thing, even though they got a lot of heat for that. But especially if white, older males tend to benefit the most from capitalism, like to cope with that, people are trying to compete with that to get into the hierarchy. The conditions of white supremacy, intersectional, ableist oppression, queer bashing mean that some people will never be able to fit into that hierarchy. Or since hierarchies depend on a bottom underclass to exploit, people will then be forced to compete with each other amongst marginalized communities within that hierarchy. There's a hierarchy of work to the private sector, the public sector, and domestic work, and undocumented work. Or the economy of underground capitalism. And so there's all these different types of labor that capitalism has divided into where you can go based on your value as assigned by the system. Age is this thing or like birthdays or born days are these things where (laughs) I've been thinking recently I should be celebrating my mother. My Mm. mother actually birthed me. I was just high. Like, (laughs) However I feel about (laughs) having existence like cast upon me, you know, we don't celebrate reproduction Mm. and we do celebrate production. Interesting things because reproduction is very much like abused and co-opted to serve the capitalist production process. But it's a type of labor that's completely ignored um, and assigned a value that is made invisible. So when women do leave that assigned value that's invisible and go into the workplace, you can only be successful under capitalism for a certain amount of time. Particularly if you're non-white, non-male, non-passing, disabled by society, non-as-privileged intersectionally, then your value, according to capitalism, is going to decrease differently. I do understand why we would have spaces for youth to talk amongst themselves and why we would have spaces for elders who are traditionally by capitalism, the older you get, devalued. Like why we would account for that by like encouraging dialogue amongst elders and creating space so like elders aren't talked over and youth aren't talked over. Like no one should be talked over. Basically it's horizontalism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I don't think that that leads one or the other to more entitlement in terms of decision making. Space to speak, yes, people need space to speak. But in terms of like now you are the decision maker, that's the problem with the value systems of capitalism is that it assigns power, has us looking for leaders, and that only gives certain people the time to accrue more value, while other people don't have the space to explore what their alternative value would be for a community when we have these gatekeepers and these positions of authority. 
Uh, next on stack is Anton. Also, just in terms of reproduction, it's sort of it's unpaid labor, you know. Um, you pay too. Yeah, you also <laughs> yeah. to you, have labor, and that's like interesting because I think we wanted to ha- have a show like that's just about the Hollywood industrial complex, but more ethnic people's like contributions to media are often erased by forcing them into their more obviously you're going to get more success if you're playing a white person versus playing a Latino person, right? So Frankie Munez, which is a Puerto Rican name, he's always playing white dudes in the movies. So his Puerto Rican exposure is actually limited based on our own capitalism. So you get less Hmm. Puerto Ricans in the media because he's less representative of Puerto Ricans than Mm. you would if he was playing Puerto Rican people. In those same movies, he could easily be Puerto Rican. Hmm. But because of this value that we place on white bodies, so there, there is a sort of erasure of even that value as well, right? Because you can talk all day about the contributions that white people have made to music, right? But you can talk just as long, if not longer, about the contributions made by people of color to the same platform. And yet that's not given as much, right? African musicians are not given the same value as, let's say, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin. or Exposure. So, they took exposure. our Exposure, sh- yeah. Took and it. they took all of that <laughs> They stuff. took it. And they're trying to do it now with rap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is... Luckily for me, that was the one thing that I was taught in school, was that the jazz age was the reason why there was any sort of music other than the classic classical antiquity of music that is your Western and European. Still black. Um, and even that, yeah. That's black. Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're going to wrap up. And if anyone wants to listen to our past shows, you can hear us on soundcloud.com slash on-resistance or check us out on Tumblr, on resistance, radio.tumblr.com. Yeah. Revolt. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you Bye. later. See you next week, same time, Sunday, yeah. one thirty. And everyone can discuss things and record things and spread and propaganda send it to us. And, and send agitate. it to us. Yeah, we'll put it on our SoundCloud discussion. As long as you're not pro cops or pro capitalism or racist or racist and or sexist. Don't or hate. Don't hate the players. Just don't check hate yourself. the players and uh, <laughs> hate the game. And the game is rigged. So destroy the game. <laughs> yeah. Destroy also. the game also. Abolish <laughs> all the things. Us living as we do, upside down And the new word to have is revolution People don't even want to hear the preacher spill or spill Because God's whole God has been thoroughly peeped And America is now blood and tears instead of milk and honey The youngsters who were programmed to continue bucking up Woke up one night, digging Paul Revere and Nat Turner as the good guys